Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a little special edition of Tej Talks. Christmas coming up soon. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, today on the show, I have Julian Maurice. You may, Maurice, you may have seen him uh, on Facebook and other social media showing his awesome designs. Uh, he is an interior designer and a property investor, particularly in HMOs. So today we talk through the benefits um, of interior design, the way you can learn interior design, um, and also, we kind of discuss how good interior design is kind of like, you know, a good business because you're thinking of your customers and you're putting them first. So if you invest in HMOs or SAs and you're on the fence of, you know, how good should my design be or should I make my designs look like Julian's stuff, look like Fat Properties or May Green, who have both been on the podcast, or should I do it Magnolia, hashtag Magnolia's dead. Um, this is the podcast for you. Just a reminder, my Earn and Learn uh, program is still open. It potentially won't be starting again until January because I've had quite a few funds and um, still trying to get more deals. Uh, so yeah, get in touch if you are interested in earning and learning. Julian, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. You know, I'm I'm really happy that you're on the podcast because I love interior design and even though I buy buy to lets and they're not furnished and, you know, there's potentially only so much you can do. Um, I just love designing things. I pretty much buy houses to be able to design them. Like I don't, don't ask me about the cash flow. I'm just like, right, when's the next kitchen? When's the next bathroom? Where can I, you know, where can I get my towels from? So you of course are a master of interior design. Um, if, if anyone hasn't seen your pictures and your videos and your content online, they're going to definitely have to check you out after this podcast. But for people who don't know you, could you give people like a, I don't know, a brief introduction as to like who you are and what you're doing right now? Okay. Who I am. That's a good question, isn't it? <laughs> uh, um, I am, I guess, if you were to ask who I am, is I'm, I guess I'm a creative person at heart and soul. Um, I, I've worked in property for quite a long time, for about 20, gosh, 22, 23 years now. Um, some of it was just being an, an agent, so an estate agent, letting agent. I wasn't able to be creative at that time. But uh, most of my time and most of my work in property has been renovating and converting properties. And most of my clients have been property investors, I think probably 90 five percent plus uh so all the projects that i've done over the years have been hmo conversion student projects um uh single let conversions and renovations um i've also done show home furnishing for some quite large companies furnished a lot because i was doing student lets furnished lots and lots of student accommodation um i've done hotel accommodation i've done office um 
upgrades, office convert, you know, office work, converting offices and renovating offices. So lots and lots of work in a portfolio. Um, and more recently, probably what since 2015, uh, I've been investing in property myself and choosing to invest in HMOs, really. But I work with lots of people who do lots of different things from developments service department so i help people i do the des- i do design work for people that's stuff i love doing um and i do training so i teach people as well how to design stuff hmm. and so hmm. so you were an estate agent at first and then you became an interior designer no well no i was an estate agent then i was a letting agent i was hunted i was headhunted and became a lettings manager uh, and then from that i just wanted to start my own business so i went into property sourcing i'd kind of had started sourcing with the letting agency and then thought no i'm going to do this on my own so started sourcing properties first of all i had a few clients that i'd work with sourcing properties and these and this was before hmos had really become big and people could make decent returns on uh, single lets and get good capital growth as well so different market but i was sourcing and as part of the sourcing i was doing the refurbs um and then just through the market being so busy i just get i got loads and loads of work doing refurbs so i stopped doing sourcing because it was much better just doing the refurbs i was enjoying that more and so it just all sprouted from there all sprouted from there and I knew that I'd get more work the best way to get work in this industry is if you do a good job and you can actually you don't have to go looking for work when things are good and the market was good at the time you know if I was if I showed I was doing something good then just you'd get people coming your way all the time you'd never have to look for work so for me design has always been a really good way of finding business because people are attracted to it you don't have to go looking for it they come to you um and i've and when i've invested in property um i've applied the same principle well i've always applied design into it because it gets you it got me more work it got and the reason why it got me more work was because my customers the people that i was doing the work for they got these properties let at higher price uh really quickly and so the agents that they were letting the property to were going well this is really cool we'll get julian to do some refurbs my clients were really happy so they were coming back so it just made the whole process so much easier for me uh and so i've really valued and and known the importance of design for a long time and when when i've invested myself i've just really upped my game because you know the HMO market isn't easy, and and I knew and I knew when I was getting into it that I was getting into a very competitive trading environment, um, kind of cutthroat. It's just, you know, I knew it was going to be like that. So I I really went as far as I could in terms of design on my own accommodation, um, and that's really it with as far as design. You know, that's why I've become good at it is because I know how important it is. And so you were when you said you were doing refurbishments, were you the project manager? Yeah, a design and man- I'd get investors basically coming to me going, Julian, um, we've just bought uh, an HMO in Headingley and we need t- you to do a refurb. And that- those were the instructions I would get, you know, um, and you-, you can't you can't do a refurb of that size if you've got like a four story house, uh, an old Victorian house, and you're going to be doing a, a, a full refurb on something that's absolutely been trashed over the last 20 years with students. You've got to gut it and start again. You can't economically execute a project like that without designing it and specifying it. And even though my customers didn't realize all the hard work that goes into it, that's what I had to do to get contractors to come in on time, to get the thing to come in on budget so that I'd make money out of it. 
So I, I've always had to design the thing quite thoroughly. But that was for more from the kind of, you know, materials, specifications. Then you've got the aesthetic stuff. And that's quite actually that's not a big cost. But I did that, the aesthetic stuff, because I knew it would get me more work. Hmm. And how did so how did you, I guess, during this time or just before it, how did you like learn and it might be, you know, some people just, just have a natural inclination for like what looks good. But how did you know no, what was going to look good? I, I don't think I've got a natural inclination for it. I've got a love of it. But for many years, I was doing it and was never 100% happy with what I was doing because there was no there was no method behind it. There was no kind of, I guess, theory or anything behind it. It was just I would see things that I liked and emulated it. Um, it wasn't until I really... I guess had to significantly up my game um, that I decided that I would study it a little bit. Uh, in fact, quite a lot. So I, I kind of researched a lot of design, product design, um, mainly product design, because we, what we do in this industry is we, we're doing a commercial version of interior design. It's not really the same as if you're doing a residential project, which I've done. When you're doing an HMO or a student property, um, it, it does have, uh, there is a lot of commercial, there are a lot of commercial uh, elements that you have to think about. Um, so just go, go, could you ask me the question again? Because I was kind of... So like what what gave you... Oh like, yeah. Well, how did you understand what looked good? Yeah, that, but that's such a big question. Um, how did I understand what looked good? It's just studying it, researching really, really great designers trying to find out what if there's a method to their madness finding that there is a method to the madness and applying that method to what i do basically so i've i've really looked at the people that are right at the top of their game in terms of product design and there is a there is a very simple set of principles behind good design behind really good design um and once you understand those principles you can start applying them to all the design decisions that you make and and that's what i've done interesting and what what are some of these principles mm, good question good question um they're not my principles by the way they're not my principles these are principles that were laid down by a guy who has has just is world famous when it comes to product design in fact his his designs have influenced companies like apple um and certainly his influences have been you know go back you know there's countless um, years of expertise and looking at all different designs and designers and, and putting them all together. But there's one guy that put them all together. His name's Dieter Rams. And if anyone wants to look up design and principles of design, then this guy is worth looking up on on YouTube, seeing some videos about him. Because every time I've looked at other designers, even interior designers, when they asked about what is what makes good design good, you always hear these principles coming up in, in interviews and conversations. So I think the, the big one for me is good design is durable design. So that's an interesting one because when you say durability, durable, you kind of think, well, it's going to, if I got a hammer to it, it wouldn't break. But that isn't quite what it means. What, what it means is that the design itself doesn't date, it's timeless. Um, so when you create something and it's really good, it doesn't date. So, for example, you know, people that have said this have been people like Ferdinand Porsche, who designed the Porsche 911. Now, that ha hasn't really dated. Uh, it's evolved over the years, but it hasn't dated. Um, um, uh, who else? Is, if Ilsa Crawford 
um, is a is probably at the top of her game in terms of commercial interior design. Um, and if you look at her products and her philosophy, it's all about creating great spaces and et cetera, et cetera. But it's all done through des her designs are very durable in terms of how timeless they are. They, they last. You know, you look at them and you think, God, that could be the 60s. That could be the 70s, the 90s, 2000s. You know, it could go into the future and it'll still look good. Um, so durability is a one is the main one for me, designing something that's going to last. So same with furniture, for example. So Ikea. You know, if you look at the Malm furniture range, for example, you know, how long have they been making that piece of furniture for? And that's really that's design durability and that's a really profitable. If you can do that, your product becomes much more profitable because it lasts longer. Um, and the common theme along a lot of these designs is simplicity. And while simplicity isn't necessarily um, a principle in itself, it's kind of what happens when you start applying these principles is you you do go back to quite simple design. Um, so that's one of them. Um, good design has to function well is another really important one. Um, and that's really all about the customer and what, what they want and making the product work best for them. Um, and this is where the this is where interior design, commercial interior design really has, a, has an issue because you have two customers uh, in the process. So the the investor has has their their requirements and generally it's budget related. Um, and then you've got the end user, the customer that's looking at aesthetics and, you know, how when they start using it, how easy it is to use and so on and so forth. So really what's important for the designer is looking at what makes it better for the end user. And it has to and it has to function well. So I don't know, you know, if if if, you, if you've got a let's say for example, um, just a really massive example is Apple, um, and I would argue that the reason why their products sell and their their customers keep coming back, maybe now so, not so much, but in the past when Steve Jobs was around, um, is that the product was so easy to use, it just works so well. Um, and when you add things to it, they just latch onto it and they just work so well. So, you know, having something that's easy to use, you don't have to think about it when you use it. Um, people love that kind of design. They pay a lot of money for that kind of design, but it takes a lot of thought and effort to create something that's functional and easy to use. And you could but you can apply that principle when you do interiors, which is what I do. So I think about things. So insignificant things like, a, a, a you know, a, a, a rope hook on the back of a door example that is a functional part of the design that gives somebody something to hang their towel on or their jacket or whatever when they come into the room um, and these are little design ele functional elements that make the product more user friendly and that's what you've got to really think about if you want to create something that's significantly better than other people because most people don't put that kind of thought into it so that's just two that's just two yeah. i think you know they're both they're both very interesting but the second one is something that I think a lot more like non-property businesses do, right? Like Apple, like, I don't know, let's say Monzo Bank, like any of these kind of startups, they're thinking, well, the good ones are thinking, right, what does my customer want? Let me put myself in the shoes of my customer. But I think property... Interesting, you said two things. You said the good ones, the really good ones do it. And the startups, interestingly, the startups and the really good ones. And what I've what you find is on the high street, the, the companies that are doing well um, low, on a local level tend to be the innovative startups that are doing things, you know, very much for the customer. Um, and like you said, the good ones, it's interesting you said the good ones do that. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Sorry, carry on. I think because, yeah, like there's obviously there's some, there's some who just say, here's a product, love it. Whereas, you know, the good ones are like, oh, what would our customer love? And I think property is a bit old school in many, many elements. So it's nice. I think it's it's nice to see when people like you and others actually, you know, look at that kind of second principle and say, yeah, if I was living here, what would I want? Like, let me literally pretend I'm living here and then design it kind of based on that. So, you know, but that is what a designer does. That's their, that's their job. You know, it is to look in that way. And I think that's why um, people are investing in design um, because they see it as an as a really good way of engaging with the customer in a competitive environment. I mean, we're all working now, really, unless you've got single lets in, in London. But if you're doing HMOs, if you're doing service accommodation, if you're doing hotel, anything, in, if you're doing anything, you're going to have people competing with you. So, you know, a lot of companies that invest in design tend to do better. And that it's interesting. You said the good ones. Um, and that's what it is. That's what they do it for, because they become the good ones. Now. So, yeah, there's a lot of property investors who are, you know, looking at design and implementing design. Now, what? But there is definitely still a, a big group who potentially would say to you and I, um, but hold on, it's a house. Um, it's always going to rent. We've got a shortage of housing. Why mm. do I need to spend an extra couple of grand on design? And what would you say mm. to them, Julian? I would say that's perfectly justified if you're in a market that allows you to do that. You know, uh, I can't, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to imagine that the world revolves around design. It revolves around money. So, you know, if, if you can do something and make money without making too much of an effort, then fair, fair enough, you know, fair enough. Um, but if you find that that, product or that property isn't selling isn't letting or you're getting poor quality customers and you're having to you know you've got empty empty accommodation that's when you have to think you know what what do i need to do to get this to start making money again and generally you don't really have that many options apart from you know uh get get rid of it at a very low price and, and i wouldn't recommend doing that if you're letting out property to be honest with you um, or, or you've got to up your game and compete. Um, those are the options. So, that, so you know, I, I'm not going to persuade somebody to say invest in design if they don't have to. But people tend to come to me because they're going, Julian, we, we know we're getting into a competitive market. We'd like to stay ahead of our competitors. Or there are people saying we're really struggling to rent our rooms, Julian, and we know that your stuff or design works. Um, we'd like to work with you so that we can upgrade our product. You know, those are the people that come to me. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but would you would you say that for people who are maybe on the fence, who are kind of thinking, uh, I don't know, maybe we could get away with, you know, a basic interior design in our sort of, let's say, HMO, or they're thinking, oh, you know, we could really push it like we see on Instagram. Like, what would you say are the tangible benefits of, of people like spending more money and being design led and function led as opposed to just, you know, Magnolia. Okay. Well, you said there's, if we're addressing the people that are sitting on the fence and are undecided. Yeah. If that's the kind of people that you're asking saying, Julian, the people who are sitting on the fence, what would you say to them? Is it worth doing? Um, I would say that, but you you asked a, you kind of made the point a few 
questions back about the really good companies and the startups that are focusing on the customer. Um, I think you have to look at this from the customer's perspective and not from the, cli- the client's, pers- the sitting on the fence perspective. You know, if if I was a business owner and or if I'm the customer, if you're if put your if you put yourself in the position of the customer and you've got two businesses that you can deal with, you've got one that is coming to you going, look, we, we really care about what you want. Uh, and it shows in our product. Or you have uh, somebody that goes, you know, I'm on, I don't really want to spend that much money on my customers and what they want. Uh, I just want to do it cheap and try, try and maximize my income. Um, but the customer, all they see on on spare room or whatever place you want to put it is a fairly vanilla product that kind of says, I don't really care about what I'm doing for you. Then, then which, which one would the customer choose? And it's the customer that pays for it all. So if they sit on the, if they end up and they've sat on the fence and gone now, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll just do it cheap and I'll do it cheerful. It'll be fine. It'll be clean. It'll rent. And it doesn't rent then they're going to regret not doing it. I think if you do it, you don't have that regret because it isn't going to happen. And if it does happen and you still can't rent a room, then you know that you've done your best and it might be time to find another strategy. But hopefully if you've done it right and you've invested wisely and you've not over leveraged everything and you can afford to have a couple of empty rooms, even when, you know, you've got a massive amount of competition. The rooms aren't selling fast. You can wait it out because the market will level itself off and gradually um, uh, demand will rise. Because that's what happens in a market. You know, we're, we're coming up. If we're going to look at this from an investment perspective and everybody that you're probably listening in is an investor. Um, then, you know, you've got to look at the longer term picture and the longer term picture, I think, with all the bloody things that are going on about anti-landlord stuff, actually longer term, I think it will make things easier longer term. Um, But in the short term, there's going to be a lot of aggravation in the market, a lot of people getting um, finding it very, very difficult. So how are you going to survive that? How do you survive a very hostile market? Um, I think you've got to design your way out of it. I think you've got to have something that you, has keeps customers happy, so you don't lose people as as much, um, and you keep your customers. Um, and then, you know, if you lose them, you've got a very good chance of getting another one because your product's better than other people's. So that would that would be what I would be saying to myself as an investor if I was sitting on the fence, going yes or no. I have sat on the fence myself. And done it and done that and and I have, I've had to get off the fence yeah I think it, it's it's a good way you put that because I you know as you were saying that I was actually thinking of hmm there's you know certain companies or not properly related but just certain things that I was like hmm I can see you've put money into your product and you care about your customers I'm going to choose you so I think in property it, it can because we're buying four walls and some bricks and we kind of look at spreadsheets we can sometimes forget that like hold on a minute a human is going to be living in this space like we need to show them that we care especially in this whole daily mail hating landlords environment that we're in that like you know look we have created something because we care and we've spent money on it because we want you to have the best experience as a consumer um so yeah i think i think i would i i would blame i think most 
I think a lot of landlords are waking up to it, but I think I think a lot of landlords, a lot of landlords who, if we're looking at HMOs, there's a lot of landlords who are old school landlords. And when they bought their properties, they bought in a very kind of really nice market. They've got they got equity in them. There was very high demand. Um, and so things were easy. And even the strategy has been sold as something that's in an investment strategy, uh, uh, a um, what they call it, um, financial, financially free, um, passive um, strategy. Or it was for quite some time. But as the markets got busier and busier, it's become far less passive and much more like a business. Um, the same with the other strategy, which is serviced accommodation. You know, that is not investing in property. That is actually having a business. Each service department is its own little business. And each HMO is its own little business. In most areas, it's become a business. You have to know the rules, the regulations, how to treat your, how to do everything right so that when the tenants move in, you don't have any legal issues. Um, it's a complicated strategy. Uh, and it's a business strategy. So the same rules apply in, in in every business. So, you know, if you're saying for some strange reason, property investors think that they're different somehow from from, you know, all the other rules that apply to every other business. Well, wake up. <laughs> it's it's changed. The market has changed. Um, you know, if you're an old school landlord then and you're getting away with, um, you know, really minimal effort and, and actually probably breaking lots and lots of current rules and regulations, it's not going to be long until things catch up you know you're going to be either forced to do it or you're going to have to get out um i think that's what's happening and i think as things get harder i think um you know and more resources are spent on making sure landlords do what they're supposed to do um the game's going to change and it is changing so yeah mm. and you know we've mentioned hmos and essays because they are i guess i guess they're a lot more customer focused and you have a lot more people in each unit or each building should we say now mm -hmm. when it comes to like buy to let or flip so buying to sell you know do you still advise and again i know you said it depends on the market but mm -hmm. let's say i'm in a market where i'm like right you know what most of my competition is pretty bland for a flip for example um there's a ceiling price i reckon i can break it with some good design like <laughs> i mean i guess what i'm trying to say here is do you advise people who do buy to lets and flips that they should also, which are usually unfurnished, they should also push for good design to make more profit? Or is it kind of the same thing where you say, if it works with minimal effort, do it? Uh, well, the good thing about single lets is there's not a lot of design work needed. So the good thing about single lets is actually you can you can think about design and you can apply good design into a, an unfurnished uh, product uh, property. And a flip is also an unfurnished product. So they're both very, very similar. Um, you can just putting a bit more thought and effort into the detail and into, you know, the coordination of materials can significantly change the people's perception of the value of the product so again you know it doesn't have to be um you know it, 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 yeah i mean the good design isn't just 
applicable to you know furnished accommodation it's applicable to everything you, you do whether it's designing a keyboard or doing a unfurnished apartment if you want to add value to it you can do it but it takes just a bit of thought uh, and attention to detail and so if we were to make that advice like practical let, let's say a normal buy to let is you know let's let's just take a kitchen for example right most i guess the average kitchen in like a new buy to let is white gloss units chrome handles wood effect worktop um i don't know some laminate effect tiling uh, flooring or laminate flooring and then like metro tiled splashback so everyone's now picturing that in their head and they've probably seen that a lot in the property community if if you, if i gave you that and said right julian how can i make this sexy what could you suggest to people practically that they could change that for almost the same budget or just a little bit more that could have a huge impact or bigger impact? Okay. Um, so you mentioned color. You mentioned material, uh, like kitchen style. And you mentioned, I think you mentioned tiles. Okay. So that's how you do it. You know, if you've seen everyone do a white kitchen with black uh, worktop with black uh, metro tiles, then if you want to do it, do you want it to stand out? Then just don't do it with the same unit, white units, black worktop and black metro tiles, because then if you do that, you're being the same as everybody else. So just don't do what everybody else does and do something different. Um, that's what you do. That's what I did. Um, so that would be my advice. And then you say, well, what would you do? What would you choose? Well, you know, there's so many um, places that you can go now from the luxury of your own office chair and see amazing color design. Um, you know, Pinterest, for example, is a great place to go to look for kitchen designs. So just let your fingers do the walk in. Have a look at some nice interiors and go, oh, I can do that. That, that can be that can be done using a Howden's kitchen. It doesn't have to be a, a, a marble worktop. They do a great, uh, you know, laminate marble worktop that looks exactly the same. And, oh, it doesn't have to be an ultra high-end flat matte white plain door with, um, you know, a very simple handle on it. Actually, Howden's do a very cheap range called the Greenwich, which is exactly the same. And they do it in a very similar color. Um, and then when it comes to tiles, you see tiles, you go, oh, they're lo lovely tiles. Why don't I check, see if I can find something similar to that? And then you work from there. And that's how you do it. You just spend a little bit of time thinking about it, looking how other people have done it and seeing what looks great and then going, I can emulate that. You know, I've just given away a huge secret there, but that's it. You know, that's it. Just take a bit of time to think about it. And and actually go back to the principles because one of the principles is simplicity simple design lasts so don't try putting in loads of lots of patterns and different colors and one bit this bit and then one bit that bit and the island in one color and another bit in another color no follow the principles go back to the principles and go actually it, it, people like Dieter Ram, Steve Jobs, Ferdinand Porsche, um, Jasper, Terence Conran, um, Ilsa Crawford, they all kind of keep things quite simple. So let's just keep let's just keep to those principles and then just be as free as we can with everything else. So on that a specific question that I've struggled with in the past, but I think I, I get I get the hang of now is when it comes to colours in a kitchen. So like so, I mean, let's just say that. So how do you match a kitchen worktop 
and a kitchen floor and kitchen units like is there a max color rule is it just using a color wheel how can people gain confidence with so like... you're talking about color are you talking about color so now so i am yes yeah. so how do i match you've got you've got neutrals so a neutral can be like a beige or a taupe or a gray for example okay so most of the elements in your interior are going to be a neutral which is not a color pretty much any color will go with a neutral so once you've got your neutrals there then you might go i want to work with color now um one way you can work with color is just look and see what colors are nice because if all you're doing really is just adding a little bit of color here and there maybe in soft furnishing so maybe some cushions or a little bit of detail here and there those things can really easily be changed so you know you can play around with that kind of stuff but actually you know what color is color so there's lots of ways of choosing color you can just go online and go um um interesting color combinations yeah and you'll get some nice color combinations sorry about this hold on phone's gone off i will turn that off so where were we color combinations yeah so just again you know let your fingers do the walk in and go interesting color variations and you'll see lots and lots of different colors and you're just going to basically accessorize using color so i use color to um kind of sell a room in photography so we all everyone now has to sell their product online on a spare room whatever it is so there's lots and lots of pictures that people see but if there's little bursts of color in your pictures and everyone else has got fairly bland neutral pictures then it just stands out from the page um and the way you use color is just less is more so don't go mental with color. Don't start painting whole walls in colors. Just the less color makes something look more colorful. But if you are, want to make an impact and the more of an impact you want to make, then the, the more vibrant the colors you want to use. But you can be free to use colors as long as you use a combination that works together. And if you want to know what combination works together, then just enter in, um, you know, interesting color combinations because you can buy things in all different colors and there's no color that really you don't want to go for a trendy color because that's like you know that's going to date so just use a loads of colors use variations of colors and then it doesn't date hmm. and um another thing that that's i often teach but but i do teach that that's one of the skills that i teach people okay and another thing i discuss with property investors is we all see beautiful things on pinterest and we see things that you know i like but you may not like or xyz may not like how how does one find a balance between oh that looks really awesome and i want you know 10 viewings as opposed to one i want more people interested than just the odd person who likes what i like like how do you get the balance of neutral design but also looks different and looks awesome that's a really good question i go back to the principles of design there are people there are people who's sold you know they're they're what they have excelled in is creating product that has had mass popular appeal has become very desirable as well so i'll go back to porsche or i'll go back to apple or i'll go back to you know rams again or or again i'll go back to conran his and habitat furniture and ikea etc you know they all create product that is desirable um and, and has mass appeal so if 
they all follow a very a code of design go back to the code of design and apply that code because if you if you do that you create product that appeals to everybody but is individual because you know one of the principles is about aesthetics it has to look good it has to appeal so it goes back to the principles again follow the principles create something quite simple um it's 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 such a big question and it's not something you can very easily define but i would say it's a, it is a combination of standing out because a lot of these designers are they lead in design so they create something that's new and and it has mass appeal so they all kind of focus on creating something different um and i think one of apple's um, big quotes was you know um what was it um uh, what was their big uh, strap line about being different be uh, be different or something wasn't it what was that was it was that was it yeah be different or something like that someone will someone will correct me on it but it was all about <laughs> different um, and differentiation is like the byword you know so you get people that talk about exceptional exceptional performance talk about standing out and being different so you have that on top of all this so you know you want to have mass appeal but all the people that do really really well when it comes to design and product stand out create something that stands out so um if you want to create something that stands out then you've got to do something different that people haven't done before so investors can't really get the most investors can't really get their head around that because they're investors they're not designers so i i would say that if you do want to you know if you are an investor and you're not prepared to take off that investor hat and actually put on the designer's hat and think like a designer then 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 pay for a designer because you're not going to design great products. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, sort of doing something different, I think it's it's easier, instead of doing like a totally kind of bespoke design to look at, say, Pinterest and other sites and see themes, right? Like industrial or luxurious no, or hipster. That's the wrong thing to do because that's trend. So if you look at industrial design, for example, once it becomes a trend, someone must have done it years ago uh, and it's slowly caught on. But then it kind of once it starts kind of becoming mainstream, everyone latches onto it and, and you'll go down to, uh, you know, everywhere and see brick wallpaper. And, you know, everyone will start kind of it'll filter through into Dunnell Mill and range and stuff like that. Nothing wrong with Dunnell Mill and range, but you know, it just becomes, it just becomes, everyone does it. And then it very quickly becomes out of fashion. Um, so the last thing you want to do is look at trend, trendy interiors and try and copy that because you'll find in this business, people will migrate. If, if you've got people that will just buy something because it's trendy, then the moment something trendier comes along, they'll move to the trendier thing. So you, you really don't want to do that. And again, I go back to the principles of design and don't just don't you always go back to these principles and don't look at trend and don't don't, you know, don't do stuff like that. I mean, are there any uh, like particular colors or like pat when i say patterns i mean like marble effect or the egyptian squares on the floor are there any colors or patterns that you think are timeless just to give the investors like some like practical okay i can go google this and have a look at this kind of thing 
I would say it's always nice to have a bit of an influence on something, you know. So if you like, some people like these, um, uh, I have these patterned tiles that I've forgotten the name of the, what they are, but you see them a lot in old Victorian houses, and they've become a bit more contemporary. Some things are just beautiful things. So I think that I think some when it comes to design, some things are just beautiful, from no matter where they're from, uh, what decade um they just are nice things and if you do want to start upping the design side of things and following any particular style i think just find something beautiful um from any era it will still be beautiful um and 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 just incorporate that into what you're doing you don't have to go mad just one little you know a beautiful lamp or you know a, a beautiful piece of wallpaper that you've just put into a recess in a chimney breast or a nice pattern um and just have that as an influence in terms of the rest of your theme but but again simplicity is the is the key word here you know just keep it simple keep it restrained and make it be a part of it not don't let don't let it dominate the design with oh this is an industrial or this is an egyptian theme or this is that no a little bit of something beautiful and then if you want to keep it very simple then just make make that a little centerpiece for the project um and everything else nice and neutral around it because it's got to have mass appeal um but then you are you know you're showing you're giving it a bit of a distinctive look but there are beautiful things from all eras so it doesn't matter hmm. whatever Hmm. What do you think about uh, shapes? Like, what do you think about a geometric theme, square theme, hexagon theme, that sort of thing? Is that trendy or is that, again, or could that fit into timeless, depending on how you do well, it? Well, geometric patterns have been used. I think they were used a lot in the 60s. And I think you'd call it, what, a modernism or a, 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 um, mid-century uh, stuff. I think that's the kind of influence um, that um, the kind of geometric shapes have come from. Um, so it's not a new fad. It's just a kind of it's come round again and it's been contemporized. So, yeah, it is kind of like a fad, but it's not a, it's not. I think, you, again, you'd be subtle with it. You know, I think if you used if you did a whole if went mad on geometric shapes, then I think yeah, it would look a bit nuts after a few years. Um, but but again, be subtle with it and, and do it in a way that if you do want to update it, you've not got that much to do to just change it totally. You know, just again, beautiful things. So a beautiful geometric shaped wallpaper in a small section of the property and use that as the influence for the rest of the job, but try and keep it everything else quite simple. Um, you know, that's that's a way to add design into it. But if you're talking about just single lets with your unfurnished, then you don't want to do any of that. It's when you start doing furnished accommodation where it's a kind of all in one complete package where, you know, if it's an HMO and it's you've got people that are moving in with no nothing of their own. I mean, again, if it's HMOs, that's slightly different. Uh, but I think serviced accommodation is where you can really start to um, exercise some creative flair in a big way um student accommodation you can do that as well but i think professional um hmos i think you you have to try and tone it down a little bit even though people would say julian what are you talking about you go mad on yours um i guess i've got to set an example but actually you know if you look at my designs they're they're actually quite simple um and there is minimal color and the color that you do see is actually in some of the dressing items and most of those are my own and they come home with me after the photography is done um, and people and I, I deliberately keep them f very simple so that when tenants move in, they can make the rooms and the accommodation their own. 
which I think is an important part of creating, giving, giving it to the customer to you, because you are giving them the room for their own use. Um, and I think part of the design, for me, the design that you have to implement in that project, in that type of project is think about that and integrate that into the design. And, and I've kind of analyzed that and thought, okay, I'll keep the bedrooms quite simple in terms of color. I'll add color into some of the communal spaces so that it, it kind of creates a vibe in the house. But in terms of the rooms themselves, that they, they are very simple in terms of the in terms of the color design. Sorry about this, my phone. Um, so yeah, so yeah, they're very simple, um, and I let allow the tenants to 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 exercise their own their, what they want to do in the room. So I give them the opportunity to do that with storage. So shelving, so they can put pictures up, and you know that's how you uh, allow the the customer to customize the space to to make it their own. Hmm. So that's part of the design process. I like hmm. that. And um, you mentioned earlier that you invest in HMOs. So can you share with us why you have chosen HMOs as your, I assume, your kind of main strategy? Hmm. That's a very good question. Um, okay. Um, I actually initially wasn't going to invest in HMOs, even though I have worked on, I would say hundreds probably for other people. Um, when I was doing most of my work in HMOs, it was when there really wasn't this kind of big professional market. It was a lot of people that were doing it were student HMOs and the only, only professional HMOs were quite low end. So there really wasn't a boutique professional HMO product around at the time and so these student houses would get trashed uh so it really scared me off of doing hms i didn't want to do anything low quality to be honest with you but single lets don't make any money uh cash flow and since the credit crunch really property is not as exciting in terms of capital growth as it was and i and i think also low interest rates um have meant that prices have remained fairly you know they they're fairly stable which is a good thing which is a good thing but you can't rely on capital growth when you're investing in property anymore and that capital growth is what when people say passive income that's capital growth capital growth is passive income um but cash flow is elbow grease um so if you're going to be having a bit of elbow grease, then HMOs, really, if you want to get some cash flow, then HMOs, just from when I was looking at them, just, you know, they, 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 they do work from a cash flow perspective. The, the downside is, unfortunately, you're dealing with unrelated people or living in one space. You know? um, so I, I don't, didn't really like the idea of investing in big HMOs because I just think the bigger they are, the more unrelated people you've got living in one space, the more, the less passive it's going to be. Um, and also the riskier it is, the riskier it is because it's no longer a, a home. It's, it's, a, it's like a hostel for me. That's what it is. If they're showing a kitchen, it's a hostel. If it's a big one, it will turn into a hostel one day. If it's not straight away, people can pass it off as being co-living, but give it a few years, it'll always turn into a hostel. Um, and they won't be very popular. So for me, that's big HMOs, no, no, no. So I, I'm lucky I live um, where I live, which is in Leeds, and it's possible to buy terraced houses. And I just converted little terrace houses into little HMOs. So I was doing three, I've got three bed HMOs. Um, but they cash flow well, you know. I mean, I'm doing 
think you know if they're full then i'm doing 650 a month on a little three bed now, uh, how is that working because a lot of people will say three beds don't work because your fourth bed yeah, your that's profit. fine let them listen what i don't want to do is to give away my strategy because um it works for me. It doesn't work for everybody. It doesn't work in every area. And to be honest with you, you know, I have, I've got my experience. I've, I've learned what I've learned. I've dealt with the people that I've dealt with. And I've come up with a strategy that works well for me based on all of the things that I've done over the years. I'm comf- very comfortable with it. Um, and it doesn't, you know, that's all I can say to you about it. You know, and if, if you're saying, well, people will be asking, does it work? Well, it works for me and I'm happy with it and I'm comfortable with it. And that's all I can say about it, you know, because other people are saying, no, that's rubbish. Well, that's fine. That's it's rubbish because what they're doing is working for them. Um, property, property and st- strategies are, you know, different areas need different strategies. Um, the same town needs different. You, you, you'd have different strategies in the same town. Um, so it's very area specific property um, and not one size fits all. So you have to look at your location. You have to work with the experience that you've got um, and do something that you're comfortable with. Because if it does go pear-shaped, you've only got yourself to blame. Yeah. No, that's fair enough. I respect that. So, Julian, if people uh, want to learn more from you, there's a few different things that you do. So you have a course, you have a guide, and you have a Facebook group. Can you tell us more about those, please? Yes. Okay. So I do... um, a one day training course where I teach people who want to up their game in terms of design, how to design, specify and manage a project. Um, I just teach people everything that I've learned and applied over the years. And I've been able to condense it down into a quite a hectic one day training course. Um, it was a two day, but actually I can fit it all into a day. And I, I follow the design principles in the training as well. So simplicity, ease of use, um, very practical is, is the approach. Uh, and it's got good results. People can walk away from it and they can be confident that whatever they want to do in terms of design, whatever they do and if they apply it, they're not going to really go wrong. So that's the training and it's a day. It's really cool. Um, then I've got a, and I've got a, there is a community of people that have done the training and that's a closed group for the people that have done the training. But I do have a Facebook forum called the Innovative Property Investor. And um, I just share stuff on there. So interesting things that I've come across. If I've got any, I had any, you know, good ideas, I'll put them there. And there's a growing community there as well and there's good good quality you know because you have to answer questions before you join so if, if people don't answer the questions i don't let them in if they give silly answers i don't let them in so it, it's got it there's a good quality hardcore of people there that you know if they ask, ask a question it's normally a sensible one and if they get an answer they normally get a sensible one if anyone starts posting rubbish or starts saying i'm doing a property course this week then i just delete it and block them but but yeah, that I'm I was interested. I'm interested in building a, a quality um, Facebook group, which is you know no bu- kind of no bullshit type of thing, um, where I I am in control of it, so that's fine, um, and that's it. So that's cool, and it's I aim for it to be good. I want it to be a good forum. So there's that. And then what was the other thing? The design guide. Yes, I have done. I basically spent months and months and months creating and I'm updating it. I do update it as well. So I'm creating a kind of 
toolkit, design toolkit, where you can just basically get all ideas and there's lots of different options and just kind of it's basically like a, a collection of specifications so colors what cushions and items go with that um ideas for kitchens um and ideas for furniture and where you can get the stuff from and it's all kind of itemized and made very simple and again a lot of people have bought it and applied it and have done really well with it so and again i've tried to apply the principles so it's easy to follow straightforward no no you know lots of text and not a lot else this is all content and it's like a brochure like a you know just pick and choose and off you go and get it done um so that's the design guide um yeah so if i can can i share where you get it from this stuff so if you go to icon living which is www.iconliving.co.uk that's www.iconliving.co.uk that's where you can find that stuff and you can find out when the next course is i hold them in leeds um and it's just right near the train station so it's like a minute's walk from the train station so it's really easy to get to from by train um and um and it's got my if you want to contact me you can contact me through the website as well i am updating the website trying to make it simple because i didn't apply the principles on the website so trying to simplify that um but that's that and i also do design work so if anyone's got a project where they think i want to get a bit of design help from somebody um and i'm in a rush normally it's people that i'm getting the contractors in in a week's time or something i wish they didn't do that to me but if you can give me a bit more time that would be good um where you know and then that's kind of tailored around the person so if they only need a bit of help they know what they kind of know what they're doing they just want some ideas then kind of tailor it to their you know budget and requirements and if it's a couple of skype calls or a skype call or if they want a hand-holding service or whatever then it can be scaled or scaled up or down and i always try to achieve you know achieve results from from you know whatever it is that i'm doing with people um so yeah awesome well julian thank you so much for coming on the podcast i uh, i know you've delivered some value here to the people listening and i i really hope after listening to you that more people if they're sitting on the fence or even if they're not they take maybe a little a little jump a little dive into the the world of design and the principles you've shared and and make some changes so yeah thank you very much as long as they're not investing in my area i'm really happy with that (laughs) (laughs) if you like this podcast connect with tej on facebook linkedin and youtube for more great content